Welcome to the Purpose City Church Podcast, where we're dedicated to guiding you on a journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're thrilled to have you here, and regardless of where you're tuning in from, we have faith that this message will be a direct source of inspiration in your life. We are starting a brand new series right here and right now for the next three weeks. We're going to be talking on the topic of relationship status. Relationship status. This is an important topic because um, they say that the first most important decision that you will ever make in your life is to serve God, give your life to him. They say the second most important decision that you ever make in this life It's who you decide that you will marry and spend your life with on earth. So this isn't a topic that we need to lean in just a little bit. This is a topic that we need to lean all the way in on. It's such a powerful, powerful topic that it's one of the most sought after, posted about on social media. Everybody has heard the hashtag relationship goals, have you not? It's so popular that it's been used 11 million times. And that's just on Instagram alone. Because everybody's in pursuit of this relationship for a couple Goals. And we see all these examples on social media. We may even see a picture like the one that they're about to put up on the screen. And a picture like this would probably say, hashtag relationship goals. Because we see the picture and our heart wants to say, oh, that's so cute. I want that. But the truth is, I don't want that. First of all, I hate the snow. And I've never been in my warm car driving down the road while it's snowing outside and said to my wife, hey, babe, you know what would be a good idea? Let's pull over. Let's exit this nice, warm vehicle. Let's go out in the middle of the snow. Let's put our hands together like we're worshiping in the snow. Let's have one of the kids pull out the phone and take a bunch of shots until we get just the right angle. That sounds like hashtag relationship goals. No, it doesn't. That sounds miserable. (laughs) But when we look at pictures on the surface, we only see what we want to see. We don't know what was going on behind the scenes before the shot was taken. Before they came up with the right caption and before they ended it with the hashtag relationship goals. My wife and I have been married 17 years.
And she is quite literally the best thing that has ever happened to me. We've been public facing figures for the better part of a decade now. And so when people see us, we're kind of like a package deal, talent and tie, tie and talent. And sometimes when we post stuff and when we put stuff about us out there, people want to aspire to. Man, y'all are couples goals. Now, the truth is, I'm blessed to have her as my bride for the last 17 years. God has used us jointly to do some amazing things. We built businesses. We've done ministry. We've stood on stages of thousands. We've stood on stages of 20 inmates. We've been together doing ministry, doing work at every level imaginable by the grace of God. We love each other dearly. There's nobody that loves me like my wife. There's nobody that loves my wife like I do. We've been blessed to have three amazing children that God has blessed us to raise, and we've been able to impact people literally across the world through the words that God has put inside of our mouth, and people have, marriages have been restored after sitting on a couch with us where we poured life into a dead relationship. And so God has used us to do some powerful things. But that's only part of the story. We've had many challenges. I guess, I guess she's co-teaching with me today from her seat. But we have had obstacles that we have had to overcome. There are many things that we don't see eye to eye on. I had to come over here because she's going to shout the entire message. When we got married, I, I couldn't wrap my brain around hot sauce being put in the refrigerator. Called hot sauce. It's not called cold sauce. It's very confused. I love comedy. My wife doesn't have a comedic bone in her body. I think it has something to do with her affiliation with the King James Version of the Bible, that she doesn't know what funny is. And so I've had to miss some really good movies because she would have ruined it while sitting next to me, and I'm laughing and falling out of my seat, and she would judge me. Because we don't see eye to eye on everything despite what you see online. My wife loves the house to be cold. But what's really weird is that she will freeze us out while wearing a robe, thick footies, and multiple layers of blankets on the bed. 
So in my mind, why don't we just turn the heat up? You wouldn't have to have all these layers on. And the rest of us would not have to freeze. So sometimes when we don't see eye to eye, we have, I think the Christian way to say it is intense conversations. Don't worry, it's coming. <laughs> intense conversations. It just means we just fight. Just had to fight about it. She doesn't like my music. If it's not Maverick City or CC, she don't want to hear it. I have a much deeper palette of Christian music and her King James Version brain just won't receive my Christian hip-hop preferences. Like, is that Jesus? Are they talking about Jesus? I ain't heard no be thou or shout yet. It's like, yes, they love Jesus too, dear. They love Jesus too. But as we pursue these relationship goals, we got to be careful not to lean on the world to find our definitions, to find our blueprints, or to find our examples. Because the world is not trying to create strong marriages. Well, in some ways they are. Because somebody... Some frustrated husband invented to where cars can have dual climate controls. Where you can control your side of the car and I can control my side of the car's temperatures. I believe that that was some frustrated spouse trying to help marriages across America by making sure all vehicles had the ability to adjust the temperatures on both sides of the vehicle. But despite the fact that both of our vehicles have this feature, when my wife gets cold, the heat's coming on. When she gets too hot, it's going off. Despite the fact that she could just simply adjust her side and let the rest of us enjoy the temperature we like. And then we argue. Hashtag relationship goals on the way to church. <laughs> you got to be careful. You got to not, listen, as believers, we get our definitions from the most high. Every aspect of our life, he has spoken into. And we should do our due diligence to make sure that we find out what he has to say. Because as believers, there are really only three relationship goals that we should be pursuing. The first goal is that our, our marriage, our relationship is covenant keeping. As believers, our marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant where we stand before God and we pledge our fidelity to one another for better or for worse, sickness and health, and on and on and on. 
The second goal that we should be pursuing, and this is not one that I don't think too many of us take seriously, it should be demon-destroying. You should marry someone that you can break generational curses with. Your marriage should be an example to others to come out of worldly relationships and into godly relationships because of the testimony of your marriage and your relationships. Your marriage and your relationships should be busting the devil upside his head every chance that it, this should be a goal. This should be a part of what you're pursuing in your marriage. Not just trying to get a house with the picket, white picket fence and the dog and the kid. No, we should be advancing the kingdom of God because this is a holy union. If you're a believer, the third one, the third goal that you should be pursuing within your relationship is that is Christ-centered. Christ-centered. Jesus is at the center your marriage and everything that you do within the context of your marriage. And that thought, that goal brings us to the message that we're going to tackle today. It's part one of relationship statuses called the centerpiece. Centerpiece, because when you do put Jesus at the center of your marriage, being that he is the prince of peace, P-E-A-C-E, that he becomes the anchor of peace in your home, peace in your heart, peace inside of your relationships. Marriage is, it's a gift. Did you know that? It is a gift from God. If you look in your Bibles, it won't be on the screen. You can read it later in the book of Genesis. Adam was alone at first. Then Adam got some company in the form of animals. He had to name the animals, and he had to work the fields, and he was in charge of everything. But then God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he put Adam to sleep, took a rib, and created a wife named Eve. And if you read your Bible, when Eve appeared, he said, at last. And I said it loudly because there's literally an exclamation point in your Bible when he said it. Like, I'm sick of these monkeys. Looking at all these giraffes and whatnot. Marriage is a gift. It's not good for a man to be alone. When we do marriage God's way, it brings joy. Not perfection. Because life is still going to be life. But now you have help in the form of a covenant partner. As Christ's followers, we are called to have not just any type of marriage. Not just any type of relationship. We're called to have relationships that honor God. Does that mean any and everybody can't be in the mix? If it's not going to bring honor to God, our marriages 
reflect his honor by the way that we love each other within the confines of that relationship. It's supposed to be an example of the way that Christ's love flows back and forth. Not only that, but marriage, the institution of marriage is a representation of how Christ loves his church. In Ephesians 5 and 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And here it is, and gave himself, gave himself for her. This is a high calling. Requires not just love or flowery feeling. It also requires sacrifice. It also requires honor. It also requires serving when we do it God's way. If we're going to truly have a marriage built with Jesus Christ at the center, there's three things that we're going to have to do in order to make that the reality. First, we're going to have to make him the foundation of the marriage. Like we can't build a stable marriage if it's not him resting at the foundation of it. That's number one. Number two, within our marriage, we have to model his love. We have to show what his love looks like on the earth. And number three, in our marriage, we have to reflect his character, how we interact with each other, how we interact with our conversations, how we interact with our children, if we'll have that, if we have them. Today, we're going to focus on these three. How do we walk this out? How do we create a centerpiece in our marriages and our relationships as we pursue relationships that honor God? This applies whether you're currently married or one day hope to be. The recipe is the same because you can't have a marriage that's Christ-centered if you don't have a dating season that's Christ-centered. You can't have a dating season that's Christ-centered if you don't have a single season where your singleness is Christ-centered. Step one, make Christ the foundation for my note-takers. If we want to build strong, God-honoring marriages and relationships, everything must start with putting Jesus at the very center. He's the anchor. He's where we turn. We don't turn to the own network. We don't turn to TikTok or Instagram. We don't turn to influencers that are on their fourth marriage telling us to think like a man and act like a... The Bible... Is where we find the truth 
about how we are supposed to be in our marriage. So the step one is to make him the foundation. And the first way that we can do that is to ensure that we put him in the center. That's going to be on us. Like Jesus doesn't jump into the center of our relationship. He's got to be placed there. He's got to be welcomed there. He's got to be invited there. Psalms 127 and 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. It means that everything you're trying to do apart from him is a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. You're trying to create your own modern 2024 version of what a relationship or a marriage should look like, and you're going to keep taking the L because his wisdom is timeless. It's traditional and modern at the same time. (laughs) And it's his way that produces fruit. We are not smarter than the Spirit of God. We are not wiser than the Spirit of God. And neither are the influencers that you're following on social media. We have to come back to Jesus to find out what he has to say. So what does it mean to Put Jesus at the center. Well, the first thing we need to do is submit our plans for marriage to him. (laughs) We just going. We just eating meals. We just going to shows. Because we got it all figured. I know what I want. I got my list. If he don't, if she don't, next They just like buses, another one coming. (laughs) But the truth is, our very plan to be a wife, our very plan to be somebody's husband, we need to give it to him because he knows what what needs to be worked out of us in order to be what we are attempting to be. And if you're married already, you need to submit the rest of your marriage plan to the Savior. Because right now, you're here because you hope I say something to reinforce a point you made last Thursday. See, pastor said it's in the Bible. It's in the book. Told you. If that's your heart, you're already losing. Because a Christ-centered marriage is, marriage is one where two people are trying to die for each other. They're not dying to get their point across. Okay, I'll keep going. <laughs> so we have to submit our plans to him. Secondly, it means that we have to rely on his wisdom. Because a lot of us are really smart. We read the books, we wrote the books, people esteem us. I've been in these relationships, so I've learned a thing or two. I've been married for 17 years, I got this thing figured out. No, I don't. In fact, I feel like my list of things that I haven't figured out 
is much longer than the list of things that I feel like I have figured out. So the smart thing to do is to always be in a position and a posture of leaning on God's wisdom, leaning on God's understanding, because you got to be careful with these relationship books. You, you do. There's a little mixture going on in the streets. A little half and half, and I ain't talking about coffee going on. A little bit of this and a little bit of that. And that's how this modern era of relationship advice looks. Have you ever seen all these uh, relationship people, they ain't never got a relationship? Okay. I'm like, you've been saying the same thing for 15 years, bro. You ain't got no wife yet? I guess your wisdom ain't working. <laughs> We have to look to the Word of God. There are plenty of verses in your Bibles that will help you become a better husband, that will help you become a better wife, that will help you prepare for that marriage season, that will help you be purified and standing firm in your singleness, that will help you recover from the pain of divorce or the pain of becoming a widow. There are verses to help you through those seasons. But you have to decide, I'm going to lean on the wisdom of God. You're going to have to decide that I believe that the wisdom of God is higher than any other wisdom available to me. Thirdly, you have to invite him into every aspect of your relationship. Every size situation that you deal with, he needs an invitation to. Because he's a gentleman, he's not going to barge into your questions. He's not going to barge into the circumstances that are keeping you up at night if you don't welcome him. Sometimes we know to call him when it's something huge, a bad diagnosis, or looks like things may be falling apart. Lord, can you step in? But what about when your child brings home his first F? Spare the rod! Like, come, wait, 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 hold on. There's more. There's more there. What about when your wife wants to put the hot sauce in the refrigerator? Lord, help me to learn to love cold hot sauce. For the sake of my marriage. Every size decision belongs to him. Why would you not welcome him in? Right now, my wife and I, were looking for a house, and it's like, Lord, we need you to do it. Lord, we don't want the one that you don't have for us. Show us where you want us. It's easy to look online and say, oh, I like that. I like that. Here's my list of must-haves. And we do that with so many aspects of our life and so many aspects of our marriage. But what about God's list for you? What about God's list for your marriage? What about God's list for your singleness? Do you even know what his must-haves are? 
Are you even submitted to what he has to say about the season of your relationship status? One thing you can do is you can pray together. It's hard to be mad at somebody you're praying for. It's hard for that fire to burn when you know y'all got to meet up and pray. So it's a trick and a tool. You fight a little different when you know, man, we got to pray later. All right, let me go ahead and apologize right now. But seriously, praying together is a form of intimacy that fights battles at the spiritual level of your relationship. You don't have to have a prayer service. You don't have to pour oil on each other's forehead. You don't need pillows to kneel. You can just join hands and ask the Lord to bless your day, bless your union, order your steps, and give you wisdom for the day. It's something that happens when you pray together. You're joining arms in a spiritual battle. You're becoming intimate at a spiritual level. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Meeting together and consistently praying with and for each other also keeps you in alignment with God, keeps you at pace with him. Because if you're doing prayer right, you're not just talking. It's a two-way conversation to where you pray and then you listen. When you listen, he gives you wisdom that you could not come up with on your own. Make it your business to pray five minutes. Come on, we can do five minutes. Just to connect at a spiritual, intimate level. Everything that we talk about, you can do. But some of us are perfectionists. So we got we to gotta have some like instrumental music playing in the background. Little, little Bath and Body Works candle. We got to pray in tongues 10 minutes first. We come up with all these rules. And all God is saying is to pray and to keep praying. And then pray again. Because the devil has been attacking relationships since Genesis where he first showed up on this earth at war with us is he got in between a relationship. Can I give you something real deep? He hasn't retired. His mission is still the same. Therefore, why would you not pray at a place where he likes to park? is inside of your relationship. Turn the heat down! You ain't never loved me. You wouldn't talk to me if you had to. You ain't never loved me. 
and it goes all crazy, over two degrees on the thermostat. <laughs> you ain't praying enough. Read your word together. The Bible is inexhaustible, meaning that we will never understand it all. We will never grasp it all. And that's because it's a journey that we're supposed to go on for the rest of our lives to get to know him more. Why not take that journey with the one that you say that you love, the one that you've pledged your life to? Why would you not go on that journey together? Do you even read your Bible? Let's start there. Do you even revere the word of God for yourself, let alone your marriage? It's the bread of life. We need it. Even within the prayer that the Lord taught his disciples, he called it daily bread. That's how often you need it. And why not go on that journey together? Again, don't y'all be deep. You do it. Well, we got to have just the right time, just the right scene. We got six kids. and Okay, okay. I don't want to sing y'all out. I said six. I know y'all on y'all way, but not, you're not there yet. But the point is, even if you can't physically sit there, if you read something, then they read something, talk about the something that you read at dinner. Stop trying to be deep. Start imperfectly. The Lord will honor your effort because the Lord is looking at your heart. If this is daily bread that we need for our spiritual lives to thrive, why would we not talk about it? Just this week, I was going through some things with, between the ears. And my wife said, hey, she texted me, read this. And I read it and I felt better. She sent me a particular chapter in the Bible and said, read this. This spoke to me. I think it'll speak to you. And guess what? It did. Because it's the bread that we need daily. Here's one that you can maybe check off. Maybe you'll get a good grade on it. Attend church together. Don't just come, though. Serve together. Because if you can serve in the house of the Lord, it disciplines the type of service that you can give in the house that you own. Service is a part of a Christ-centered marriage where we are serving each other. Because as we read earlier, it's a representation of how Christ loves his bride, the church. And what did Christ do for his bride? Died for his bride. Gave his life for his bride. Served his bride. And that's what comes when we decide that we are going to serve, attend church together. So after we make Christ the foundation, we got to model Christ's love. 
1 John 4 and 19 tells us we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us, which means that we are only able to love him because he decided to love us. Like sometimes we think the decision came from us. I decided to give my life to the Lord about 15 years ago. Well, actually, the only reason you had the ability, the wherewithal, (laughs) to give your life to him is because he already gave his life for you. And he did it while we were sinners. So what do we learn from that? Well, we got to be patient and kind. We do. We do. If he's the model, Jesus didn't die for us after we got ourselves together. The Bible says he died for us while we were still messed up. So your service to your spouse doesn't come after they get themselves together. Not if you have Christ at the center. You serve your spouse because what God puts together, let no man separate. So if God puts you together, then he has a goal. He has a dream. I know you have a goal, and I know you have dreams, but his dream And his goal is for you to be patient and kind to each other. 1 Corinthians 13 and 4 says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Here's the tough one. It keeps no record of wrongs. Because the God kind of love is different than a cultural kind of love. Cultural, worldly view tells you, don't let nobody get over on you. No, you got to get them back. They need to feel how you felt. That's cultural kind of love. When we decide that we're going to have Christ at the center, we got to use Christ's definition of love. That could be uncomfortable. Like this microphone. Y'all hang in there, okay? When we remember how patient and kind God has been with us, I know we struggle sometimes to give it out because we're only focused on what the other person did. And then we forget. Thank you, sir. Y'all give it up for Marvin. When we don't take the time to remember how much patience God has given us over the days of our lives, it's easier to stay in the posture of finger pointing. 
But the second we reminisce on all the ways that we failed God and he was gracious to us despite our continual failings, it becomes much easier to extend grace to someone else. Because if we add it up, it may look a little bit different. So we model Christ's love by being patient and kind. We also model God's love by forgiving quickly. It's getting tighter, I know. Just hang in there. Forgive quickly because Ephesians 4 and 32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Has anybody in here, raise your hand if you've ever been in need of God's forgiving. Just wanted to remind you. All of us have fallen short. All of us need him. We've needed him in the past. We're going to need him again in the future. So if we know we're going to need God to forgive us, and we're going to hope. We really are. When we ask him to forgive us, we hope that he does it quickly, don't we? How much more should that look like in a Christ-centered marriage? Maybe a Christ-centered marriage isn't your goal. Maybe it's a little too uncomfortable. Well, that's unfortunate because his power comes when we align with him. His provision comes when we align with him. His presence comes into our homes when we align with him. So we got to be patient and kind. We got to forgive quickly. All right, here's another tight one. Take a deep breath. Let it out. We got to serve one another. Christ-centered marriage. Christ-centered relationships. Christ said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. Christ-centered. Christ-centered. So we Christians that are striving to create Christian households and Christian dating and even Christian singleness, we have to do the tough things that put us in position for God to be with us. And that includes service. Galatians 5 and 13 says, serve one another humbly in love. So don't throw the eggs down like the pastor said, I got to serve here. It's not what the Bible said. It says, serve one another humbly, humbly. And if you're real saying you take the H off, you say humbly, humble. Humbly serve one another with love. I don't know. That's tough. be tough, depending on how spicy the situation is, because things get spicy. Y'all not seeing eye to eye? Y'all just got through arguing, and now it's dinner time. 
Somebody got to do the laundry. The grass got to be cut. And you got to decide, am I going to be Christ-centered or am I going to be me-centered? What's my goal? What's my dream? What's God's goals? What's God's dreams for this relationship? The last one is to encourage each other. Man, why would you date or marry someone who's not your fan? Who can't see the potential in you? Who can't speak to the destiny inside of you? Why would you waste your time? Before the world gave me any accolades, my wife did. True. I'm not trying to earn points. We're good. She loves me. I love her. I'm telling y'all the truth. I'm trying to help you, whether you're married or single. My wife spoke to something that did not exist when she spoke it. Bad credit. Tens of thousands of dollars in debt. No degree. She said, I see greatness in you. True story. She's like, I can't describe it, but there's something great that's going to happen with your life. She's my biggest fan, and I'm her biggest fan. Every chance we get to encourage each other we do. You should look for ways to encourage them. This is your life partner. And for those of you who are dating or pursuing it, man, don't get nobody that don't cheer for you. Don't link up with nobody that you can't cheer for. Because this life gets to life. In. And people at the job they don't see the greatness in you. They see what your position is. They see what your current title is. And that's all they care for. But when you get home, you got to have somebody to say, I see greatness in you. I see the God in you. Somebody got to cheer for me when I get home because them people at work be tripping. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11, for my note takers tells us, teaches us to build, excuse me, encourage one another and build each other up. Because with the encouragement comes the building. They're connected. It means that that greatness that she spoke to required building. She saw it, but it wasn't built. She spoke to it, but it wasn't built. But the encouragement starts the building process. If you encourage one another. So after we take the time to make Christ the center of our relationship, and then we move on to modeling Christ's love within our relationships, the last thing that we have to do might be the toughest. We got to reflect the character of Christ. We, our marriage, our relationship, our singleness, it has to reflect the character of Christ. If he's the centerpiece, 
of our relationship status. How do we do that? We have to be faithful. Because God is faithful. We're supposed to be faithful. Remember, we're reflecting his character. It's not about your character. Some of us are so in love with the dysfunctional parts of our character that we wear it like an ID badge. <laughs> well, you know I got a temper. Okay, that's a, that's a demon. Stop being in love with your demon. It's called rage, and you need to cast it out. That's another series for another time. Because our focus should be on reflecting the character of Christ. One of his dominant characteristics is his faithfulness. So we should be faithful to each other. We should make it our business to put parameters in place so there's never even a hint a vapor, a thought in anybody's mind that I would ever be unfaithful to my vows, that you would ever be unfaithful to your vows. So you can't watch everything. You can't go everywhere. You can't hang with everyone because my marriage reflects the character of Christ. If I'm going to make him the centerpiece. So you can't come to my house and do anything. Because this house belongs to the Lord. Because this marriage belongs to the Lord. You see how that goes? There's got to be a standard. And that standard is found in his word. And when we decide that we're going to have a Christ-centered marriage, not only... We have to be faithful, but we got to show grace. We have to continually give the same grace that God gives out. Because we've decided that our relationship is going to reflect his character. So that means at times the person you're in relationship with is going to fail. It's going to show weakness. My wife really doesn't like the fact that I can't fix nothing. Because her parents can fix anything. So all she saw growing up, something breaks, they figure it out. Hmm, not in my house. We put in a phone call. So when something breaks at our house, I'm trying to put in a phone call. She's like, but it ain't even that hard. I'm like, I don't know. Looks pretty hard to me. I mean, I'm, I'm for real, guys. I can't even, like, hang pictures right. I mean, there's going to be some extra holes in the wall. I'll get up there eventually. I'll cover up the extra holes with the picture. There's going to be some extra holes in there. It's all right. I'm securing myself. I know who I am. 
I know who I'm not. But at that time, I need grace for these extra holes in the wall. Maybe a little crooked, but it's there. It is hung. It is finished. In Jesus' name. Show grace because that's a characteristic of God. We need his grace. We welcome his grace, and we need to give his grace out. The next thing is we have to practice self-control. No, 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 don't say amen too hard. I didn't say practice spouse control. I didn't say practice spouse control. Practice self-control. Why? Because that's a fruit of the Spirit. Get you together. Take you to the cross. Lay yourself at the feet of Jesus. Because if you get you together, if you practice self-control, you will find the help that you need for all seasons of life within that relationship. You will find guidance and wisdom for all seasons of life in that relationship. If you get you together, if you practice on controlling you, Galatians 5 and 22 says that self-control is needed. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It helps us manage our emotions. It helps us manage our words. Because some of us have said some things we can't take back. Because we didn't have self-control. Even if they deserved it. We're trying to build a Christ-centered marriage. He could have said some stuff about you. From his heavenly throne. But what he did was he laid down his life for your messed up self. And my messed up self. Because he has self-control. Remember? When Peter was Petering, they came to get Jesus. Peter snatched somebody's sword, cut off the man's ear. Now, you know Peter ain't got no business with a sword if all he could get was an ear. You know he ain't know what he was doing. You got a whole sword and all you got was an ear, bro? He's a fisherman. But Jesus said this. He said, don't you know I can call legions of angels right now? And if you read your, if you read your Bible, like sometimes we read too fast, when they showed up, Jesus spoke and all of them fell down from his word. So he knew who he was, he knew what he could do, but he had self-control not to do it. Why? Because he was about his father's business, are you? Is your marriage, is your relationship about the business of the father? Because it's not just your little spiritual gift. It's not just about that ministry that you feel like you're supposed to give birth to. It's your relationships too. They testify to the goodness of God if you let them last one and the band will come. Might be the toughest one. We got to walk in humility. We have to. Marriage prunes you. 
That person that shares that covenant with you is a pruning knife in the hand of God. God uses them to cut things away from you that need to be cut away. And sometimes that could be painful. Sometimes that process can prove fatal because you couldn't handle that pruning process and you turned it into an issue with them. When God was just trying to prune you to be more fruitful. So when the pain shows up, it's hard to be humble. When the enemy shows up, it's hard to be humble. When the pressure shows up, I thought you was going to provide. Why are all these bills passed due? You lost your job again? It's hard to be humble. It's hard to be gracious. It's hard to serve. It's hard to have self-control. All of it's hard. But all of it's necessary. If, if, if your goal is for Christ to be at the center. Now, maybe that's not your goal. You can keep living how you're living. Keep dating who you want to date. But you're going to keep getting the results you've been getting. If you do. Because you can't just date anybody. Your single season can't just have any types of activities in it. Your marriage requires the anchor the compass of Jesus. Because if you don't have him, you're going to end up going in the wrong direction. Like a ship tossed and driven by the sea. And you're going to look up at year 10 like, where are we? This is not where I thought we would be. How did you drift there? You didn't have your anchor. You didn't have your compass guiding the direction of your relationship. And you don't have the peace that you prayed for, that you hoped for, that you desired for, because Jesus wasn't at the center. Putting Jesus at the center doesn't mean that complications don't arise. Because you can have two Christians in a relationship and it not be Christ-centered. I got to say tough things from up here. You become Christ-centered in the things you do, not the words you say. So we can talk a good talk. But if we're not doing what he's told us to do, then he's not really at the center. We got him stuffed away in the attic of our homes. He's not the cornerstone of our homes. And when we need him, we go up to the attic and we go get him. 
And then when we feel like we don't need them no more, we got to figure it out. We throw them back in the attic. When he's the cornerstone of your house, it don't move. It's a permanent fixture. That's what it's like to have him at the center. When it feels good, when it feels uncomfortable, it feels hurtful, painful. He shows you what to do. When you don't know what to do, he'll show you what to do. When, he, when you know exactly what you need to do, he's going to show you how wrong you are. And he's going to tell you what to do instead. We'll never not need his wisdom. Marriage is brutal. It has beauty. Sometimes it has challenges. But when he becomes the centerpiece of what we are building every day, we have the help that we need. We don't become perfect. He is. But we're still two imperfect people inside of a relationship, which all the more is the reason that we need to continue to lead on. I don't care how long you've been married, you still need his wisdom. You still need his help. But you sit there with your little 20, 25 badge of honor. But how many of them years y'all actually like each other? You need him. That's all I'm saying. You still need them. Because you're still prone to failure, they're still prone to failure. You need them. When you're deciding who to date, you need them. Because you don't have to settle. There is no scarcity in the kingdom of God. I mean, they saved a little bit. Ain't that good enough, pastor? No. He read his Bible a little bit. Where is it? Um, he used the app. It's not about perfection. Because when we met, I mean, she was always saved. She came out the womb saved. But I was a work in progress. Still in. That's what you realize when you really submit it. Because when you stop measuring by your neighbor and start measuring yourself by God's standard, you realize you're not there like you think you're there. And that's a good place to build a relationship with Jesus at the center, me depending on him, me asking him how to proceed, me asking him to take away everything out of me that needs to be taken away. With me joining hands with my spouse and saying, let's fight this together. With me exchanging scriptures of encouragement or profoundness or revelation. That's us putting Jesus at the center. That's you putting Jesus 
at the center. And when you put Jesus at the center, he becomes the center piece. Thank you for being part of today's episode. To stay connected, please visit us at PurposeCityChurch.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your loved ones. Your support means the world to us. As you go about your day, remember to make a meaningful difference in the world. Thanks for listening.